Welcome to the Smart Driving Cars podcast. This edition is sponsored by the Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, symbol MOTO. For more information, head to MOTOETF.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the Faculty Chair of Autonomous Vehicle Engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Hi again, Alan. Hi, everybody. Hi, Fred. Well, from the latest Smart Driving Car newsletter, Alan, Euro NCAP has launched a grading for assisted driving systems. Uh, They've developed a dedicated test and assessment protocol and this grading system. Yeah, and I think that's very good. At least they're out there testing and testing whether or not the systems work or don't work and what extent that they work in assisting driving and collision avoidance and those kinds of things, which is really great. And um, and they put together a grading system. I think the only question one needs to raise is that one looks at the bottom line that they come up with and, and give a number of stars or whether they're very good, good, or whatever. It means that they've taken their various components of how they rate these systems, put them together, and ranked order them according to their scale of very good, good, and so on. Uh, But I think everybody should take a look at the individual ratings that they have for the individual components and decide which one of those components are really important. Uh, From my looking at them, I would think that the most important thing is, do they work in what they're supposed to do? I mean, what's the collision avoidance capability? Does that actually work? What is the rating for that one? At least to me, that's most important. Whether or not they've done a good job in educating me or or promoting it or telling me about it and so on and so forth, uh, okay, that's that's important too, but certainly not as important as whether or not the darn system works. If the system doesn't work, what, what good is it that they've educated me that, um, and probably hasn't educated me that it doesn't work, but educated me on the system. So yes, uh, uh, part of the 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 creation of these uh, assistance technologies is their dissemination of the information to the individuals so that they can understand that and in some sense the selling of those things Uh, but that has to be in there it's important but it's not as important as whether or not the systems work because they don't all work very well or at least their rankings and their 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 gradings of whether or not they work is different among uh, the different uh, vehicles that they've tested so anyway um, as with most things one has to look at the details and see how the details um, uh, and what the details mean to the individual and then determine uh, as to whether or not they want to go out there and 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 purchase these vehicles or not purchase these vehicles I think one thing's sort of, uh, to me, very disappointing about about uh, these systems is that is that the industry doesn't seem to be out there trying to sell it. Uh, the OEMs, the car dealerships, and so on, don't seem to be out there really promoting them and and getting people to buy them. Um, I think I've written it that that um, I was looking for a, a two or three or four year old uh, station wagon, 
and uh, that uh, would have uh, the um, adaptive cruise control, the lane keeping, uh, a good um, uh, collision avoidance system uh, in it. And I can't find one on the market that even has this. So, so these things have been options in these vehicles for, for a number of years now. The problem is that the penetration into the the fleet of vehicles that are out there the, uh, and purchased um, really isn't there, except for of course Tesla, which put it in all the vehicles, and you know I guess many of the people use it for Tesla, but for the other car manufacturers, it really seems to be very discouraging. Uh, although maybe I'm just out of touch um, since I don't watch television, I don't watch their commercials, I don't know what they're out there promoting, but it seems to me that they're probably still out there promoting soft Corinthian leather and cup holders uh, as opposed to, uh, you know, I think what's really important in these vehicles uh, which is uh, which is the driver assistance capabilities and and the crash avoidance uh, capabilities of these vehicles, at least the technology uh, that can be put in there. So, anyway, I'm, I'm just well. We've talked before, that. Alan. It's not just selling these features; it's it's teaching drivers how to use them. It's teaching drivers how to use them, teaching drivers how to respect them, teaching drivers how to not abuse them, teaching and having people really, you know, learn to respect them. Unfortunately, it seems that that educational process takes time. And of course, to, to a salesperson who's trying to sell me a vehicle, uh, what are they trying to do? They're trying to do the deal, get out of there, collect the money and, and move on to the next one. And the spending of the time to educate me, I mean, is expensive. And me being a cheap guy, um, um, I'm not willing to pay that tuition or trying to not pay that tuition. And so there's there's a real conflict here. And and so it, it needs a great deal of, of education. I guess the other comment that I sort of make, um, I, you know, I drive, I don't drive that much. But I have never seen even one of these variable message signs, let alone just a sign that says, use your adaptive cruise control if you have it, or use your cruise control. Because in fact, if you stay at a constant speed, we'll save energy and, and everything else. There, there's none of that that's going on along the roadside as, as we're driving down. I mean, they'll tell me about whether or not I need to to quarantine myself if I come from out of state these days and things like that. But, but you know, in terms of what safety features and, and, and um, driving assistant features I may have in my car that I should be using and, 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 and should be appreciating and, and, and no, no suggestions about that. Um, no suggestions about the, you know, set, set your cruise control so you don't all of a sudden go so fast that, you know, you're, you're a hazard on the road. I mean, you know, any of these things. So maybe I'm asking too much and, uh, but um, it's just, it's just kind of interesting that the, certainly the technology exists. Some of the systems are really good, do really work why they aren't in all the cars and why they aren't essentially, uh, you know, uh, just part of, of what you buy along with the cup holders and the Corinthian leather. Um, um, 
don't know. Well, they rated uh, the Mercedes-Benz GLE, BMW 3 Series, and Audi 8 on top as far as these grades were concerned. Uh, I noticed the Tesla Model 3 was back in the pack a little bit with a moderate Back in the grade. pack, but if you look at the Model Tesla 3, you know, where did it score really well? It scored really well in collision avoidance. Okay, that's what I want. You know, and why do they rate and, it moderate? <laughs> well, because because of course you know they uh, uh, Elon's out there. You know who knows what, and there isn't a camera system in there making sure that you're not uh, abusing the system and misusing the system. And maybe they don't. You know the print that they have in their manual that says hey, you you have to sit there and 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 pay attention. Uh, while you're driving uh, is in, you know, uh, six point type as opposed to 15 point type. I don't know, but uh, they didn't rate well in terms of, of uh, having, uh, you know, informing the customer um, um, for shame. Uh, they should. I mean, anybody who has a Tesla should really, should must realize that you've got to pay attention. And in fact, you know, Tesla seems to still have a problem with the stationary objects in the lane ahead in which they disregard them. Uh, so, you know, and gets, gets themselves in Joshua Brown situations in which people die. Uh, and so, yes, the systems have, they, they, they seem to work pretty well in a lot of places, but you have to pay attention. Okay, none of them are out there such that you can hop in the back seat. Okay, and there shouldn't even be any suggestions that you can. There's some things that are out there in the last couple of days about now that you know Teslas allow you to basically uh, take you through green lights at at, at, at traffic intersections. Uh, hold your breath and pay attention because uh, because you know uh, <laughs> um, I don't know. Um, at least just to protect yourself. Uh, certainly don't go hop in the backseat when, when you're going down Route 1 with the traffic lights. The lights don't always mean uh, that traffic coming the other way is going to stop for the red light either. So, right? To... Uh, right, and things like that. And, 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 it, and it, it, it sees those things. It could take care of them. As long as the thing is moving in front of you, it probably does a really fantastic job. The problem is with stationary objects ahead. Why? Because you're, when you're going down the road, I don't know, every uh, 10 miles you, you pass under how many overpasses, how many overhead signs, how much uh, tree canopy that's, that's overhead. And the systems, as they go down there, they see each one of those things as stationary objects in the lane ahead. You know, we've so, talked to LiDAR companies in, in the past that's, that, who tout that their systems might be able to solve this problem. Any inkling that we're closer to it? Well, you know, there's some inkling, uh, got some inkling from a radar system that in fact, they now have a system that in fact uh, can really uh, uh, measure the height of an, of an object overhead of the over the road that is stationary. In other words, basically be able to tell, you know, how much headroom you have and is accurate at that. Um, uh, so, you know, there's you know if there's system. a semi across the road in front of you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they haven't focused on that. You see any, I mean, you see any of the things out there with LIDAR, they never show you the LIDAR image as it's coming and approaching an overhead uh, uh, 
an overhead object and, and, and see what the hole is because, because in fact, that's a very difficult computa computation to make, okay? And so the issue is, is do you have enough headroom? And that's what's important. I mean, the focus of the systems in the beginning in their development was, is, is there anything on in the lane ahead? Okay, it's stationary. All right, and and unfortunately, the things with a false alarm rate with respect to the overhead objects that you could actually pass along, pass under it was so large that it, that these things would all of a sudden apply the brakes as you're approaching an overhead uh, um, a, a bridge over uh, that, that passes overhead that for which you have plenty of clearance. Your system starts doing that when you're driving down the road. What are you going to do? You're going to pull. You're going to go to the dealer and say, "Turn the damn thing off," right. or you're going to get a bunch of clippers and you're going to clip the the wire, or you're going to stop it. Okay. And of course, the, the the Society of Automotive Engineers says, "Oh my goodness, if you start applying the brakes for no reason as you're going down the road, the person in back of you might might run into you. We can't have that." So disregard it, huh? Happens so I guess, to be a I guess we, we'd love to hear from companies who have this thing solved, solved or, or close to solved. Uh, we'd anyway. love to hear from companies that have this solved or close to solved or solved or actually solved and out yeah. there, you know, in the showrooms for us to buy. And uh, I don't know, I keep looking for them. Uh, uh, Brian Cattle claims he hasn't. Okay, Brian, uh, maybe we'll have you on the show and, uh, and we'll let you, sh let you show it as soon as you're willing to go public with it. I guess I should, you know, this isn't a broad public announcement, but Brian thinks he hasn't. Well, hopefully. Hopefully. A judge in London has restored Uber's transportation license uh, where regulators had threatened to ban Uber vehicles over safety concerns. And uh, I guess it's good news for Uber. Yeah, it's it's good news for Uber and Uber should be uh, able to operate there. I, and uh, I guess my unfortunate comment in, in the in the newsletter is that uh, I guess it sort of um, justifies Uber's going in there and uh, we're going to do it and um, and ask for forgiveness rather than ask for permission because uh, my goodness, you go into uh, London and ask for permission to compete with the black cabs. I mean, good luck. Uh, so uh, they found their way in. Uh, they then asked for forgiveness and I guess they're being forgiven at least uh, for a little while. Um, well, they may have an issue in, in Seattle where the city council has approved a minimum pay standard for Uber and Lyft drivers, ride hailing companies as of January are going to have to pay what amounts to a $16 an hour wage. And certainly the drivers deserve 16 bucks an hour, okay? I mean, it's a tough job and they, they deserve that. The, the, and, and of course, you know, people that are rich enough to afford $16 an hour to pay for a driver along with the other costs of, of being driven around, well, you know, this is, this is just fine and dandy for them. 
the question is, is for the folks who really could use the mobility afforded by, by Uber and Lyft, uh, how are they going to afford this 16 bucks an hour? Now, if you're, if you're a transit operator or if you're, uh, if you're a community service person in which, in which you'd like to be able to provide this, uh, this kind of mobility, actually, you know, paying a wage rate of 16 bucks an hour for a driver, you, you do that every day, all the time. It'd be cheap as opposed to what, whatever the union pay scale is for a bus driver at, at New Jersey Transit. I mean, you know, uh, so uh, 16 bucks an hour is really pretty cheap. Uh, but is it sustainable? Is it uh, can can you scale this, or is it just for the, those folks that are that are resourceful enough uh, to be able to put themselves out there at sixteen bucks an hour? And uh, you know, is there health insurance? Is there is there vacation pay? Is there all the other things? Is it is it an eight hour shift? Uh, or is it, uh, or, or what? I mean, one of the real, uh, I guess, uh, values, I, I don't know, maybe value is not the right word, uh, and, and capabilities of, of having a, a, um, a Uber Lyft driver that's a gig worker is that they, they don't necessarily want to work for a continuous eight hours. It's not their lifestyle. They don't mind working just here and then just there, working the peak here, working the peak there, and doing other things during the day in that off-peak period. Um, but is that scalable? Uh, and, uh, and on the other not. hand, I mean, the, does the service become less affordable for many people who, who really need it to be affordable. Right. So it's a double-edged sword here. I mean, the people yeah, need it, 16 bucks an hour. Right, right. They need 16. It's, it's unaffordable. But if you're subsidizing mobility, subsidizing that mobility, when it only costs you 16 bucks an hour, is really dirt cheap because what's it costing you if you have to have a union work New Jersey Transit. New Jersey Transit ends up paying its drivers a heck of a lot more than 16 bucks an hour when you when it's all said and done. Plus, you know, they work eight-hour shifts or whatever. So, you know, they don't just work in the morning peak and the evening peak when you need them. You have to have them doing who knows what for the other period of time. So this all adds to the labor charge you know, for a ride. So it's not just, hey, when you're driving, it's 16 bucks an hour. It's, you know, you got to do the wait time. You got to do the hangover time. You got to have the break time. You got to have to put all that in there, which is, I guess, why I continue to end, end up being at, at the driverless mobility as the way to really scale affordable mobility. Because, you know, once you've invested in the hardware and the software, the variable cost of that is close to zero. And it doesn't care whether it's working in, in just the morning peak or just the evening peak and sitting around the rest of the day. In fact, that's where the affordability comes into play. And if since this is, as I argued, the technology, both the software and the hardware sort of behaves like Moore's law, you know, as you scale, costs go to zero. 
So, you know, so all of a sudden, you know, you have mobility that's provided as to, you know, whatever the depreciation cost is of, of the vehicle itself and, uh, and uh, the cost of the energy to move it. And if you do it with electricity and so on, uh, you know, there's a problem with scaling and how much electric pr production. Yeah, we we're going to get into that in a, in a couple that minutes here. Yeah. Just a minute, you know, there's, there's, there's some work that we have to do there. But all of a sudden, you know, you're, you can really talk about affordable mobility. And if you then can share a ride, because if you give the ride to two people instead of one, the costs don't change for the trip, but the cost for the individuals gets cut in half. And the energy cost for the individual gets cut in half. And the pollution costs to the individual gets cut in half. I mean, these are big numbers. So that's, again, it continues to be the fundamental motivation that I look at for driverless mobility. We'll be back with more, but first we want to remind you about our sponsor, the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, symbol MOTO. To get more info, head to MOTOETF.com. And when you're there, check out the white paper. It's titled The Smart Transportation Revolution. Look for it under the Insights and News tab. Great information there to help you make informed decisions about investing. ETFs, as you may know, can be a smart way to spread risk with investments and focus on a particular category. The site, once again, is MOTOETF.com. Alan, Amazon this past week released comprehensive data on the spread of the coronavirus among its employees. They said 1.44% uh, of its workers contracted the virus this year. Sounds like a big number, more than 19,000 employees, but the rate is lower than the general population rate. Yeah, it is. And I think that it's pointed out in there. I've forgotten what the number is. If they really went with the general population rate in each, each place where they have their facilities and would uh, then, uh, you know, multiply that out. I think it, it came to like 30,000 would have gotten it instead of 19. So I think, you know, it seems as if Amazon has, uh, has really worked hard to, to keep operating so that we could have things continue to be delivered to our houses so that we could stay safer by not having to go to stores to go get things and it being brought to us. So in some sense, you know, the, 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 the value of Amazon in, in this past six months is, is not just a convenience, it's really a safety feature. It's been safer for all of us that we haven't had to go out there. So, you know, they deserve some, some kudos. And it's, it's not just because, you know, Jeff was class of, I guess, 86 at Princeton or whatever, uh, you know, but, but it, it's, it's really, it, it, it's really marvelous in the sense that we've had the opportunity to have Amazon so that as we've had to stay home and as we as we've had to to stay out of um, uh, out of crowded situations uh, we could still uh, somehow get through this pandemic and and they've done it yes it, the, those workers have had to go in there they've had to be close but but if one looks at, at the numbers um, uh, it's a shame that anybody got, that even one person got sick, but 
but they've done a they've done a reasonably they deserve some kudos for doing a, a reasonably good job. Uh, plus, you know, they they as they say they they've spent four billion basically their profits over the last quarter um, uh, addressing the pandemic while continuing to to serve every one of us. So. Um, kudos to them, at least. No, they, they, I think they've built their own lab, according to the CNBC. They built their own labs and they're testing and so on and so forth. And, and, and you know, I guess they've done what they could. They, they've gone out there. They haven't closed down. They haven't sent everybody home and said, you know, fend for yourself, which in some sense, when when one looks at what uh, what we've done at the university level and said, hey, you go home, take care, you know, we'll send you some some Zoom videos and and learn through the Zoom videos as opposed to, you know, all the work that we did on campus to to educate the students. Uh, yeah, anyway, whatever. Well, they, they've played a, a big role in helping all of us through this by, by, by staying in business and people being able to go online and order what they want. And if you go into a, a Whole Foods these days, it seems like there, there are more people who are going around fulfilling orders, buying for, for, to fulfill these uh, online orders than, than there are regular shoppers almost. It's yeah, and, and so, uh, it, you know, that and, and I guess I've also praised the, the whole logistics system for for continuing to to put things on shelves that could be that could be acquired and and brought home so so with with uh, uh, what I suspect is substantially reduced infection rates than we would have had if we would have had to go out and get all this stuff ourselves and fend for ourselves. Well, hopefully. Not too much longer, but we've been saying that for a long time. <laughs> we've been saying that for a long time, and uh, and and certainly the indications these days is that is that we're we're not we're not there. And and okay, yes, a vaccine is going to save us, but you know we're not there yet either. So, Steve Gursky, Nicola Chairman and Vecto IQ CEO is reportedly in talks to back the self-driving truck startup, Too Simple. Interesting yeah. move? I don't know. I mean, uh, the whole Nicola thing, um, uh, my goodness, what has come out is is that, um, is that uh, is there GM did not close the deal like that. And GM didn't, right? hasn't closed the deal. And, you know, in any of these deals, there's always a clause in there that says if market conditions change substantially, either party can walk. And so market conditions have, have changed substantially uh, since the deal announcement. And so uh, the issue is, is uh, where do we stand? And, and um, uh, I don't know. Um, I threw it out there. I, one has to wonder about too simple also. I, you know, um, that's, that's just not a, just not a pretty sight for the industry. I, I don't know if it's as bad as Dieselgate yet, but, uh, but it may get as bad as Dieselgate. Well, on that note, uh, Alan, in Germany, the former head of Audi is on trial in that Dieselgate uh, Volkswagen emissions cheating scandal. That goes back, what, five years now? Yeah, I mean, look, and and that one was was especially ugly. Here we are, you know. Here you, you tout a vehicle that 
that every tree hugger would want to buy because of its energy, blah, 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 and its environmental da, da, da. And in fact, it's faked. <sighs> I mean, we can't be doing business like that. We just can't. And so those that, that sort of say, look, uh, you know, um, let's fake it, um, deserve to, um, uh, to um, be brought into court and, and ask the hard questions as to, uh, look, why'd you do this? And maybe um, you need to pay society back some way by, I don't know, however society chooses to decide to be paid back. Well, it's interesting that, I mean, we often see corporations being held responsible for misdeeds, but rarely do we seem to see individuals in those corporations. Very rarely. And, you know, and, and, some, and sometimes they're granted pardons by presidents, but, you know, we aren't going to go there. But look, corporations are run by individuals. Uh, <laughs> what? There's no AI that's running any corporation. Uh, there's no AI. But there's certainly no AI that's running any corporation. I mean, these are run by people. These are decisions and made. And sure, you can look away and say, ah, duh, you know, ignorance is bliss. But uh, not really. Come on. Uh, things are things in corporations in a lot of places are run from the top. Okay. And the orders come down. Okay. And sometimes the people at the top feel insulated and so... It's interesting that we're seeing somebody maybe yep. being held responsible here. In the newsletter, Alan, you, you highlight a report from The Economist headlined, Who Will Rule the Teslaverse? Uh, talking about new businesses gearing up to support the switch from petroleum to electricity, something we hinted about a little earlier. And the, the whole big issue here to, to, to grapple with. There's there's a big issue. Uh, there there are big issues, and I think the reason why the issues are becoming bigger and maybe uh, more relevant is because the electric vehicle is really becoming more real. I'm really becoming more real. What a sentence, you know. It, and and, um, and we just we just did a little thing for New Jersey Department of Transportation, looking for you know what they need for. <laughs> for um, charging facilities for the fleet of vehicles that they use, uh, that the DOT uses uh, to run its business and so on. And, you know, even one of the interesting things that we tripped over in, in doing that is, is that actually the char charging facilities are, are quite inexpensive to put in there. Um, kind of thought that maybe that's kind of a, you know, an Achilles heel with the whole darn thing. You have to put all these expensive charging facilities and actually, no, actually, you know, we're coming up and, and seeing that they're about one-tenth of what it costs you to put a, a, a gasoline or diesel fueling facility in place. Uh, when you consider all the environmental protection you have to put in there for, you know, burying tanks and that are going to contain, uh, gasoline or whatever or diesel compared to the you know the transformers and the trenching and the wires and so on that to bring in to do to do chargers and and distribution of chargers um actually that turns out to be inexpensive compared to uh, a contemporary fueling facility so so 
that along with all the things, um, GM coming out with their battery systems, Tesla doing it with their battery systems, the increased range, making uh, range anxiety uh, a thing, maybe a thing of the past. Um, and when you but you point out it, the generation of electricity will need more. Well, I was about to or, get that. Or solar or... Or at some point, you know, now, okay, so we're going to have these. And then, and then the question is, is where's the electricity come from? Right. Okay. And so I, I point our readers to just take a look at the uh, energy flow charts that Lawrence Livermore puts out that really show the, 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 the uh, and, and, and display clearly uh, the production and consumption of electricity or of energy in the United States or really any country. They, they have them for a number of other countries. And when one looks at that one, basically sees rule of thumb, you know, transportation is consuming something like 25% or so of the energy that's, that's actually required to do, to do things in, in our economy, that to heat our homes, to light our buildings, to do all, make the aluminum and all the other things that we do, you know, you need about 25%, you know, to, to move us around. Uh, and if you look at what's moving us around right now, it's basically all sourced out of petroleum. That's where it comes from. It's, it moves it. Yes, there's some electricity being used uh, on the New York City subway system and the Chicago subway and so on. Amtrak uh, has a Long Island Railroad has some electrific, electrified lines. But you know that's that's a very very small percentage of of the of the energy uh, that's coming from electricity to to move us around and move our things around. It's petroleum, and so well, I, if you, I believe Biden has uh, proposed something like half a million charging stations as part of his platform and, and running. Sure, you can do the charging stations, but right. where does where the, the and, and where does the electricity come from? Right. So if you look at our current electric generation capabilities, you know, what you see is the electricity that's produced right now would have to basically triple to be able to to have enough electricity to to move us and our goods around. Now, we aren't going to move at all, okay? There's still going to be some that's going to be, you know, in, in, in petroleum-based internal combustion engines. But if we're really successful, if we get half of it or something like that, it means it's got to double. Okay, and then so, all that gas tax revenue disappears too. Well, then the gas tax <laughs> revenue disappears, but we're going to have to find a way to generate that money to be able to fix the roads. But but let's forget about that. Question is, is how, how do you double the electric producing right. capability of the United, United States when you look at what where does the electricity come from now? A major portion of it still comes from coal. Okay? Others of it, smaller portion, comes from hydro. Uh, you can't double hydro. I mean, you know, we've bought damned every river th that we can. So, you know, that's kind of, you know, there aren't some other Niagara Falls that we can now put some, you know, turbines into. We've done all that stuff. You know, nuclear, <laughs> they're closing those things. 
So the chunk that's produced by nuclear is actually going to get smaller. Okay, so where's it gonna come from? Solar, if you look at solar, solar like produces 1% now. So what, what, what would you have to do? Do 100X solars so that you could double? I mean, how do we do 100X solars? I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know everything about the supply chain there, but certainly uh, pricing for solar has, has declined significantly. So maybe that's at least a, a significant part of the solution. Okay, sure. I guess we can have uh, in each of our neighborhoods, there's one house with solar array on their roof. Now all the houses, you know, a hundred, you know, we're going to have a hundred times that. Well, you know, many Maybe houses or, can't because uh, of the way they're situated, but. but. Exactly. So solar's not going, uh, it's like wind, wind, wind produces 3% of the electricity. Okay, right now. So what do I mean? We really, I mean, we have to just completely, I mean, substantially increase that if that's going to do it. Otherwise, we're going to burn more coal. We're going to burn more natural gas. Okay, that's where it's going to come from. Now, if it's going to come from coal, natural gas, and I don't, so I know we can build more coal plants or not close them. I know we can build more, more natural gas plants. Of course, we can. That's easy. Whew. Start doing that. You double them. People are going to be really upset. They're going to say, what did we just do? Well, folks who have solutions to this, we welcome them to join us. I know. I, I guess. I don't know. Maybe I'm just naive and I don't <laughs> understand that. I don't know. But it's not going to come out of nowhere. Well, in, in the meantime, Tesla delivered uh, another record quarter, 139,300 vehicles uh, during a pandemic still. But Russ Mitchell at the LA Times is reporting that uh, the company is now saddled with factory overcapacity. But that can be a temporary thing. We just don't know how fast uh, they'll, they'll be able to grow. Yeah, well, uh, factory overcapacity means that they can sell even more and they have to continue to, to push them and, and and who knows where. It went. But it seems as if uh, the market might actually be able to absorb many more than 140,000 uh, Teslas per quarter. And um, whether or not um, he can build uh, enough of them to really um, uh, make his uh, the valuation of his stock uh, be, you know, other than uh, <laughs> I don't know what um, to justify um, where it is now and even, justify right? where it is now. But uh, um, well, he's, having... he's talking about a twenty-five thousand dollar Tesla now, and. Not yeah, I'm still waiting for the $35,000 Tesla, <laughs> but I guess they're almost here. But with scale, maybe. And, you know, he's buying uh, battery manufacturing uh, facilities. It looks like, even though battery day, you know, wasn't everything that people expected all because I guess they expected Elon to be, you know, out there, you know, overselling. Maybe he was underselling this time, but um it seems as if there is, are, there, there have been some substantial improvements in battery technology. And if there have been substantial improvements in battery technology, and if they're getting cheaper, then my goodness, uh, EVs will, they'll be difficult to, to beat. 
by an internal combustion engine. Well, GM is touting its Ultium battery system, and they're putting it in the cruise origin autonomous electric vehicles that they're touting. They're touting to put it in cruise in the driverless vehicles, of which if you, if you look at the driverless vehicles, which would be fleet operated and fleet managed, there's, there's no range anxiety because you know who you're going to serve. You know how far they have to go. So you allocate the vehicle dynamically that has the capacity and the range to serve them and so on. So, so you know, there is no range anxiety and easier to maintain, actually easier to fuel. Um, my goodness, uh, of course, these things are going to be EVs. I mean, it, when, when anybody does their, their alternatives analysis and their return on investment, it's going to, you know, the EVs are going to pop. Yeah, I think and, Consumer Reports has, has something out on that uh, uh, right now. A recent report about the the economics involved of owning an electric vehicle, and the, it's looking pretty good for EVs. Well, look, I mean, if you're if, if you're a fleet operator, you're doing that analysis, you're running those numbers, and the and you're only interested in the numbers, and the numbers are going to come out that they strongly favor EVs, and so of course you're going to buy that, and then you're going to have a whole industry in China, if not in the United States or in Western Europe too, that's out there producing these uh, skateboards as, as uh, Michael Senna calls them, uh, you know, just these uh, um, basically um, uh, consumer products that are powered by electric motors that are being rolled off the assembly line really inexpensively. And one can see, one can see that Elon's out there and building, uh, you know, uh, uh, vehicles that have basically half the parts of an internal combustion uh, vehicle. Pfft, uh, my goodness, uh, all of a sudden, uh, yeah, there's no transmission. There's no, there are no pistons going up and down with rings and oil and, 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 and springs and rocker pant, you know, and all that stuff. Just, you know, some copper windings and some magnets. Bam. I'm, come on. I don't know. I know they go through tires fast, but that, that's probably solvable too. So. Yeah. Finally, from Forbes uh, Online, Lance Elliott has a piece headlined, tire blowouts could cause self-driving cars to go astray, but they cause non-self-driving cars to go astray too, I guess. You yeah, I, I think it's. I think Lance goes through it and, and describes it well. But right. I, there's been a lot of improvement in tire technology in terms of blowouts and 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 run flat sort of things and and so on. Yes, one has to worry about blowouts. The other uh, point that that uh, of course uh, he he makes is, is that uh, you know when a blowout happens to us, it's the first time we've experienced a blowout, and who knows how we react and we react and instinctively you know, I turn the wheel and I flip the car and I die you know I mean I do the wrong thing the thing with a, with a driverless vehicle is that thing's going to be tested against blowouts and each one of the four tires and maybe two tires simultaneously and so on and and in the code will be uh, will be uh, driving decisions that uh, that allow that vehicle to minimize um, its um, its expected um, um, badness. Let's call it that. 
and really react appropriately as opposed to instinctively. So in fact, uh, you know, rather have uh, uh, that code that's been in some sense trained, not trained necessarily in terms of uh, AI business, but actually written uh, to then uh, once there is a blowout, detect that blowout and um, basically control it appropriately. So uh, there's a minimum expected um, damage that's, uh, that's caused by that, as opposed to when we encounter these things, we don't know what to do. I haven't had driver education in, you know, I won't say how many years. A couple years. of years. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Smart Driving Car Summit is still uh, in the planning stages. It'll be virtual by the end of the year is what we're hoping it looks like, Alan? Yeah, it looks like we're going to do it the second week of December. I think it's uh, it's lining up to, for us to do it. We're we're trying to we're going to put together a program that I think will be will be interesting to do virtually, and will allow the audience to interact with the with the presenters and and really uh, try to do the the engagement and the networking that that really happens at, at a live session and but do it interactively uh, as best as can be done under as the best it can be done and i i think uh, everybody would it'd just be nice to at least get all this back together and chit chat a little bit back and forth uh, uh about the where we've been where we might be going and and how do we try to approach it the best way we can so I think um, in my discussion with, with various folks, uh, people want to get together, even if it's just on Zoom, looking at screens um, um, and doing it this way, as opposed to uh, uh, getting together on campus or at my house. And hope for a, a better year to come too, right? So. Well, of course, we have to, I guess it, yeah, uh, but it's, um, it, I, I don't know, I guess we're all realizing that it's going to be a while. We are, we're not through this. Well, thank you to our sponsor, the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF. The ticker symbol for the ETF is M-O-T-O, and more information is available at MOTOETF.com. You can find us and more information as we go along about the summit at smartdrivingcar.com. Also on Anchor FM, Spotify, TuneIn, Apple, Google, Spreaker, SoundCloud, even on Amazon Music now. And you can get your smart speaker to play us. You can find my tech reports at textination.com. I'm Fred Fishkin along with Alan Kornhauser. Thank you for listening or watching and please stay safe. Yes, please stay safe and wear your masks.